You know, Mike Hull, this Week in IndyCar podcast that is now, what, four years old, however many years old, this thing started as a little experiment between myself and our mutual dear friend, now late friend, Robin Miller. And uh, you, since Robin's health started to decline years ago and he had to step back a bit, you have been the most constant guest, most present voice, and I know most appreciated by many. So I do, uh, I appreciate the fact, Mike, that with this podcast that has roots and origins between Miller and I, uh, I love the fact that in our very first podcast after losing Robin, you happen to be our guest. So there's something fitting there and you've come to represent so much. I know to uh, my audience and listeners. So thank you as always for taking some time. Well, you're sure welcome. Uh, Robin and I were approximately the same age. So we came from the same, uh, uh, vintage <laughs> as it were. Uh, so we had a lot of things in, in, in common, uh, with the exception we, I grew up in LA and he grew up in Indiana, but, uh, we managed to get through that okay and uh, met him uh, originally uh, by a mutual friend, Johnny Parsons Jr., who Robin, sh- I think, shared an apartment with in Indy for a long time. They got in a lot of trouble together when they were young. Uh, so probably 40 years plus I've known Robin, and uh, I really enjoyed the fact that uh, he cut right through it. Yeah. And... Uh, and you know what? I, what I was, what I've been thinking about the last two or three days with him is he was seldom wrong. Now mm. the message was a, sometimes a bit harsh <laughs> for some people. They didn't, they didn't really appreciate the the way it was presented. But you know, I would venture to say if you read back through all the articles that he's written over time, whether it be in the Star or uh, as that's where he was when I first met him, uh, or for racer, uh, or any, anything that you did together or any interview that he did, uh, with a, with a microphone, uh, he was seldom wrong. Uh, and he told it, he told the truth and he didn't make things up. And a lot of people think, thought, you know, sometimes they have that opinion of journalists, but this guy, I mean, he was, he had a ton of integrity that he didn't, I don't know that he got enough credit for that. Uh, have to agree. For me per, have yeah. To agree. And yeah, for me personally, it's a big loss. Uh, you know, I just hate to say that, but it is, uh, well, I hate to say it. I mean, I, I'll just say it. It's a big loss for me personally. Uh, um, I know life goes on and I understand all of those things. And I've lost a few friends like that in the last two or three years. Uh, um, Glad that I'm still here. So next week for the uh, next IndyCar Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, I'm going to dedicate uh, however much time is needed uh, to talk about Robin, share some additional oh, good. insights, good. ask uh, his many readers and fans to share some thoughts on top of the normal grist of the mill stuff. There's a pretty good, well, I should say pretty good, uh, a decent silly season update coming as well that folks might uh, talk about a little bit. There's one or two driver confirmations or announcements that I know of that are coming here for uh, 
to finish up the last couple of races of the season. So there'll be some normal stuff to talk about, but I do hope we'll, uh, we'll focus most heavily on our man Miller. Well, let's do this, Mike. You have uh, things to do. My wife and I are headed out the door in uh, 32 minutes for an appoint for a couple of appointments. So why don't I uh, take some of the questions sent in by our beloved readers here? And boy, as always, I want to say a big thanks to the Justice Brothers for supporting all that we do. Definitely to TorontoMotorsports.com. They were definitely a huge celebrator of Robin. Lots of fun stuff from T-shirts and other stuff that we've done together over the years, all to uh, um, rankle Miller or celebrate him a little bit. And then obviously Cooper Tires, who uh, make the road to Indy possible. So let's jump into some questions here. Not going to be the longest episode in the world. You know, we're doing this because we want to do this, but I also know uh, our hearts are in a place where we'd rather just maybe be a little bit silent and uh, contemplative at the moment. So let's do this. I don't know if you saw last weekend, there was a motor race, Mike. Not totally sure if you were there. I'm not sure if there's anything that took place at that event that might have caught your attention. Kidding aside, holy cow. Uh, Should we call it uh, Gateway's impersonation of the Nashville GP uh, wreck em up derby that wasn't the most fun thing in the world your uh, previous championship leader alex Pillow, ended his day early your man directly who you play the uh, role of race strategist for scott dixon also taken out in that crash uh inspired by renas vk so that's where we're starting the questions we're going to go with mark harrison it says mike Welcome back to the world's greatest podcast. Well, that's kind of you, Mike. It's a little, you know, it's a little overambitious, buddy. But uh, I will definitely claim this to be the world's most podcast podcast. Uh, he says, hey, we've missed you. He says, how do you characterize the recent run of luck, if that's what you would call it, that Alex Plow has had? And what has the team been doing to keep a positive outlook after a couple of really rough races? Um. Well, short of uh, torturing chickens, uh, uh, we, we just uh, we do what we do. Uh, we'll do it uh, the, the the way that we know how, and and that is to be prepared to go to Portland. Uh, first of all, that's our next race. Um, in the means that we were prepared to do at uh, uh, Gateway, uh, so we're working hard. Alex has uh, been working hard, been in the building a fair amount with uh, with the. Uh, the engineers uh, of all vocations, as well as the people working on his race car, and then spinning the simulator a bit also. Um, so uh, we're looking forward to Portland. We have been there already. We did test there a few weeks ago. So at least we, I don't know if it gives us a leg up, but it gets it gives us a preview of Portland. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to go to Portland. Maybe wider question here, and it's been asked by a couple of folks, and I'll try and ask it in a more polite way incident that happened with renus alex and scott we know for a fact there was no intent on renus's part to hit anybody cause harm affect the championship right the kids too good too smart all the you know big mistake right not a intentional thing how does the team 
react to it now with a couple of days or almost a week's time to process does this something the the proverbial water under the bridge we've moved on it's in the rearview mirror uh is there any sting left this is was it was a big thing that happened and a big thing in the minutes and um, days that followed is this something that has been purged from the system yet yeah we've you know we've talked about it but uh uh talking about it doesn't uh, either rectify or excuse what happened uh the way i look at it from my standpoint is it's oval racing 101 you know darn well that uh uh going into the first corner at any oval it doesn't matter what oval it is long short or medium uh, there's going to be an accordion effect and uh the problem with gateway is if it is a problem the the reality of racing a gateway is no different than some of the other ovals where we race after the first two or three laps it becomes somewhat uh, processional so the drivers are ramped up to, to to try to make a pass on someone if they can, uh, before everybody equalizes after a couple of laps and spreads out a bit. So I understand what Venus was trying to do. Uh, I get it. Uh, but, uh, there was no way he was going to make the corner. That's racing oval racing one one Uh, so hopefully he's learned from that. Uh, we were the recipient of that. Uh, in this case, two cars, uh, Scott and Alex, um, you know, I, I, I saw a couple of comments from Scott after Nashville and, and after gateway and it, and the dinosaur that I am, I remember when we raced in the cart, we had a chief steward named Wally Dollenbach and I know things have changed, racing has changed and all that, but, uh, drivers never left the racetrack without seeing Wally if there was a problem on the racetrack and he either fined them, reprimanded them or put them on probation immediately and told their owner, Hey, one more shot. This guy's out of here for a few races. And with what's gone on recently in motor racing, uh, uh, reviewing the incident on the racetrack and, and having somebody go to the back of a restart. while another car is in the garage and can't get back on the racetrack is not near enough penalty. Uh, so I, I think that IndyCar, you know, and I know I, I saw the rhetorical statement by IndyCar. Um, I get read it again today about how they were going to look at this, the, the, uh, the rules again, when this season is over, well, somebody's season could be over before they do that. So I, I think it needs a good hard look and it's directly related to, and it was in those days, it was directly related to the talent in the cars, the closeness of the racing, uh, the partners that are in the series, uh, and we're back there now. So there needs to be a rethink on, uh, how, how some of these things are being, being not administered necessarily during the race, but certainly, uh, when drivers go back to the next race. Fair enough. Let's go to Max Lightshoe. I love this question. He says, since the start, Mike, <laughs> of the Dallara DW12 era, 
Ganassi has had a lot of talented drivers alongside Scott Dixon, but none of those other drivers really have contended for a championship in a DW12 until Alex Polo came along. He's curious. Why do you think Alex has succeeded where others maybe weren't quite able to? Um, wow. That would be calling people out. I, I don't know that, that, uh, I think we, well, I know we have equal equipment, uh, but what IndyCar racing is all about is having equal equipment and then tailoring that equipment fully uh, to the driver and that driver's drive style. Um, I think we're doing a good job of that today, uh, and uh, that's evidenced not only by Alex, but frankly also by Marcus Erickson. Uh, so... Um, I think maybe you should include all three or incorporate all three of those in that statement or even in that question. Um, and I appreciate very much the question. Uh, when it wasn't happening, there was a lot of soul searching going on at Chip Ganassi Racing, I can tell you that. Uh, so uh, we're moving in the right direction. Uh, we're moving, we're, we're, we have multiple entries with massive talent in each of those cars and uh, happy to see it. Stay here for one more second without the comparison to others. To Max's point, I mean, look, we've seen Ed Jones do some some great things during the year that he was with you. Not as many as we'd hoped, of course, but we Ed showed talent, right? Uh, while you had Felix for a couple years, he had some some highlights as well. Again, no question. There's been something about Alex. I can't fully quantify it yet, but... There seems to be something about Alex in terms of speed, uh, capability, consistency. The right, he's got the markers of many of, of the great teammates that Scott's had. The consistency of being there, thereabouts up front. If he's qualifying there, he finishes there. If he's qualifying middle or towards the back, he seems to find a way forward. Had very few bad days. Unfortunately, the worst have come in the last two races. But his ability to be there with Scott in in lockstep or sometimes even a little bit ahead, that to me has been the big difference that he's brought. Is there anything you see within the kid that makes it go, yeah, okay, that makes sense why he's able to achieve that? Are we still trying to figure that part out? I think, I think composure uh, for someone his age. Uh, is very evident. Uh, he makes mistakes, but uh, not large mistakes, like all race drivers do. Um, and, but he, uh, he capitalizes on uh, uh, his ability and his composure. Uh, I, I bet his heart rate is 65 or 70 inside that car. At least that's how he acts when he drives the car. And I think maybe to, to reference the question, also is I think Scott Dixon has a huge intimidating factor. Huh? Ain't that the truth? <laughs> you know, when you think about it, I don't think about that too much, honestly. Uh, but, uh, it's there. And so with teammates, they, they have a, a very large, uh, high, uh, uh, barometer threshold there to make. And when they do make it, and we did see it with teammates, uh, you know, Felix won at Road America the day after Scott did. Uh, so, 
I think we saw that with teammates, but I think Scott's ability to constantly change, slightly change the style of driving that he has from lap to lap in a race is probably the biggest difference between him and some of the other drivers, some of which have driven for us and some of the others in the field. And he's not the only one that does that, but he certainly certainly does a good job of it. Let's go to a final Alex-related question. Ed Joris, a man who loves himself, Hondas more than just about any human being, asks, Mike, is Alex's gateway engine okay after that crash? And says, if not, is he going to get another grid penalty (laughs) at Portland? Yeah, don't get me started on that the engine deal. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that between IndyCar, Honda, and Chevrolet, they couldn't figure out how to tell the difference between a team, uh, a team generated problem and an engine manufacturer's problem. Uh, but uh, the engine is actually okay. Uh, uh, and thanks, Ed, for the question. Uh, we were con- as concerned as a lot of people were about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're ready to go for Portland. You said Alex has been in the building a lot. I guess he's been there, wrenches and and whatnot in hand, uh, wiping <laughs> the engine down, making sure it's pretty, talking to it, telling it, it it's good and handsome and wholesome, and it's just going to perform like a rock star to close the season. So uh, just like you would talking to your plants, Alex, That's... hello, engine <laughs> engine whisperer. Uh, let's yeah. see, where shall we go here in the uh, somewhat limited time we have left? Our pal Louise Smith, whenever I get a chance to tell Louise Smith that we love her and are with her in her fight against cancer, and she is not only a great IndyCar fan, Mike, but she is just uh, another fine example uh, of a woman kicking ass to kick cancer's ass. And, uh, and enjoy, get back to enjoying every measure of her life. She says, hey guys, Mike, uh, were you at the recent test here when you, the team was at Portland? And if so, how's the track looking? Can you share anything uh-huh. that you guys learned? Says uh, She says she's really looking forward to seeing you and the whole Chip Ganassi Racing team at the Grand Prix of Portland. Well, we are looking forward to being there too. Uh, um, it's good to be going back there. It's a, it's a terrific facility, terrific racetrack. And, uh, and that's what we saw when we went to test there. Uh, that part has not changed at all. And I wouldn't say really the surface, uh, or anything about it has, uh, uh, gone in the wrong direction. <laughs> uh, so we're looking forward to being there and, uh, being there with fans, uh, because the fans there love IndyCar racing. Um, and it, it's coming up quick here. Well, I think we're going to need, or I'm going to need, because I am planning to be at Portland. Uh, I, I think we need to arrange a uh, Mike Hole guided tour of the uh, of the CGR compound, because it's not a tent, it's a dang <laughs> compound. But I think we need to make sure Louise uh, gets a Mike Hole tour of uh, all the goodness there, because, again, she is That would a be great. Fan. We should, yeah, we should do that. And, you know, I saw Jay Ivey when I was there for the test. Jay Ivey! The great and I hadn't engine seen builder. him in a long time, and uh, uh, you know, many many years ago, he he built engines for cars that I worked on. Uh, so he still, with his two sons, runs a very very successful business. Uh, it was good to see him. Your former uh, student 
racer founder <laughs> and owner Paul Fanner uh, uh-huh. is a purveyor of J of Ivy Engines uh, Formula Ford products uh, in his Eldon and uh, and whatnot. So yes, and I can't. I don't know if I've ever worked on a Formula Ford or Formula Ford 2000 decades ago that used Jay's products. It was usually a Loining or a Sterling or a something, but nonetheless, a Farley, uh, but definite, definite respect to our man, uh, Jivey, Jay Ivy. Uh, well, he does a lot of vintage and club racing stuff, and I just asked him, I said, well, how many races are you doing now? And he said, well, I've cut back to 30 a year. Wow. How funny is that? <laughs> how, how funny is that? <laughs> Uh, let's see, where shall we go? Uh, let's talk about James Johnson. Don't know if you've heard of that guy. He uh, apparently was kind of big back in the off-road days. Um, Ed Walk and also Vincent1701, Vincent Anderson, they say, Mike, I'm sure you've gotten plenty of questions along these lines, but candidly, how is Jimmy Johnson progressing in your eyes? says, in terms of race strategy, seems like Scott Pruitt and Johnson are uh, taking an ultra-conservative approach says, do you ever think we'll see the 48 gamble on pit strategy or, or do some other stuff? And uh, Vincent's also curious about why uh, why the insertion of not my brother, Mr. Pruitt, uh, knowing that Dario was uh, certainly in charge of that, at least to start. I think, uh, uh, first of all, I think Jimmy's making progress. Uh, it, I think Indianapolis, the road track there, was a good was evidence of that. He, he did a he did a really good job all day in the race itself. Uh, ran well, uh, stayed on the lead lap all day long, and uh, didn't do, didn't put a wheel wrong. Uh, I don't know about alternate strategy there uh, in terms of moving moving you up the grid because sooner or later with alternate strategy you have to pay a price. Yeah. Uh, so so that's certainly dependent on how the race unfolds. Uh, alternate strategy for me personally, I've been on both sides of that, as you can imagine with Scott Dixon over the years. So some days you're a hero and some days you aren't with that. The, uh, the one thing about alternate strategy is you can't go back. If you run at the front, you can, um, in terms of, uh, uh, driver tutoring or driver help, uh, Scott Pruitt wasn't available for us at the beginning of the year, although we'd talked to him and, uh, he actually has another job. Uh, full-time, actually two other jobs at least that I know of. One's uh, on the working end of a shovel at his vineyard and the other one is uh, helping Lexus with a lot of their product and product development and and, uh, dealer networking and things. Is making wine and drinking it a job? That's just uh, maybe a rhetorical question here because if so, I I, got to get a job at uh, Pruitt's uh, vineyard. Yeah, I think, you know, working (laughs) up in those foothills of Auburn might be good for you. The uh, um but he, but he came available to us after Indianapolis this year. So uh, we took advantage of that. If you study his background, although he, he wasn't in NASCAR for a long time, he, he was there for a bit with Cal Wells. And uh, uh, so he has experience, the same kind of experience that Jimmy has moving from, a, uh, in those days, a Winston Cup car to, uh, to an Indy car. Uh, so we thought that's why we wanted, to, wanted him to come on board originally. So we managed to make that happen. Um, and, uh, Dario, it's freed Dario up a bit, um, to work with, uh, Marcus, Scott and Alex, but he still spends time with Jimmy. Uh, the nice thing about 
uh, Dario and Jimmy, they're from the same cloth in terms of being uh, meticulous about how to drive a corner. <laughs> and so they have a lot in common with that, which is really good to see. And I'm sure by the time that Jimmy's done this year, he'll have a file folder for every racetrack that looks like a the same uh, looks like a phone book, which is what Dario carries around still to this day from track to track. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good relationship with the three of them. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know if it's a subtle point, but it was Jimmy's second time going back to the Indy Road Course this year, and he and he made good stride there. So we'll just keep staying after it with him. That was my takeaway, and I just sent him a little note afterwards, as I'm sure a million people did, saying, hey, man, it's just really cool to see a glimpse of what we expect next year. That thing being, hey, you need a year. You're going to stumble and fall and bust your lip and scrape your knees and stub your toe as you're figuring this stuff out. But getting back year two, that big database you mentioned, that's going to be where we get to see Jimmy in a more comfortable light. And as you mentioned, going back to the same track for the second time, uh, we did get a glimpse of that. And it, it was obvious that, aha, so they're the gains we've been, we've been waiting to see. So really happy for yes. him. Yes. Let's, uh, let's get to two or three more, Mike. And then uh, I got to hit the stop button on the good old uh, podcast fun machine here. Ryan Terpstra talking about someone you mentioned and someone who I, I'm just become so incredibly fond of as a person, but also as an IndyCar driver, Marcus Erickson. He says, what do you think Marcus has done differently this year that has contributed to his, to his success? He says, seems to me he was the only one who could really match Colton in Nashville. Tell me about year two at Chip Ganassi Racing, Marcus Erickson, and how is a guy different than the one who showed up last year? Because it's night and day. Um, I think we've seen in Marcus what, the fans are seeing now in Marcus for a while, you know, we saw it last year. Um, he didn't get the results that he probably himself thought he should have gotten. Uh, but, uh, I, I think there, there's a bit of, uh, gelling that's happened there with Marcus, with, uh, his engineer and his group of people that work there. Um, and he has a lot more confidence in that group of people now. Number one, he has enormous natural ability and, uh, he can drive a race car. Um, and he came to America and he raced with, uh, with Sam Schmidt's team at the beginning. Um, and, uh, it was a good first year for him. And I think last year was a good year for him. And, uh, we're now really getting after it with him. And, uh, I think we're seeing what, People in Europe saw in Marcus when he was coming through the ladder system there, frankly. Uh, and he raced against some pretty special people, uh, and they all got to Formula One at the same time, but they were uh, spread out among different level teams. Marcus, unfortunately, was not at a team where uh, talent could outweigh the team structure itself. Yeah. And uh, at Chip Ganassi Racing, as was said a few minutes ago, um, he can do that. It's up to him, certainly, but it's also up to the support group that he has surrounding him. And uh, in equal cars, which he's in, he's, he's hey, he's won two races this year. <laughs> so it's, not, it's, a good, it, it's a good year, good year for him, and uh, we expect a lot more out of him. 
as I put in my post-race column on Racer, uh, the cool-down lap, as they call it, uh, there are two drivers this season who've won two races and finished in the top ten ten times. One of them is Marcus Erickson. The other one is the current championship leader, Pato O'Ward. Wow. Uh, that, that means something. Granted, obviously, Pato's leading, Marcus's fifth, means that Pato's top tens have been a little richer in, in, in higher points paying positions, but truly no one else has been <laughs> top 10 in 10 out of 13 rate or no one's had more top tens than these two. One of them's leading the other one's fifth. Uh, there, there's some, some respect to put on Marcus's name for sure. Uh, one that's or not, two. That's nice. Yeah. One or two more here. Paul Hirsch says, Mike, what advice would you give a parent who is starting their kid in karting? good luck uh uh, no i mean i i think uh motor racing uh today is uh about starting your your son or daughter either one uh as young as 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 you dare start them uh because it's the only way they're gonna they're gonna uh nurture the ability to be able to drive a large race car. Um, my advice would be to race in the most competitive, not in the easiest category age group wise, but be in your age group, but with the fire breathers, uh, because that's how we learn to do things. Uh, don't be intimidated by that system. Uh, jump in with both feet. Um, and, uh, plan on, on utilizing resource to, to, to make that happen. But uh, go to the go to the go to the national events, go to the big events, go to the proper racetracks, and have real equipment. And then your son or daughter uh, can create uh, a compare as to what they need to work on next and where they're going to be as they go through that uh, uh, chain of age change as they move through the through the system. Uh, you know, I know several parents who have kids in karting at different levels, different ages. And, uh, I think some of them have been very successful with it and that's what they have done. Uh, they've got them out there, uh, and, uh, they've had to, they've had to learn by, by being beaten <laughs> first. And that's what you have to do in motor racing. Use this as a closer. There's some other great questions I'd love to get to. Hey, the, the off season's not too far away, my friend, so I have a feeling we'll be able to uh, do plenty more episodes uh, and get to maybe some that we missed and some new ones. Let's close on this similar thing. Folks always look to you for this kind of advice, which I love. Uh, Emil Bohr says, Mike, my nine-year-old son says he wants to become an IndyCar engineer when he grows up. says IndyCar is all he talks about most days and for the la- or over the last two years. He's curious, how does one become an engineer for an IndyCar team? Is it working up through the ranks of the team? Are there college programs you know of that might be helpful to direct him towards race car engineering? Uh, and he says, P.S., look for his resume in about 12 years or so. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, there, there are universities that have uh, engineering schools and some now specialize in uh, uh, uh a variation of a degree that uh, involves motorsports. We have one uh, right in the city of Indianapolis called IUPUI, 
and it's a terrific school. The curriculum there guides students uh, either in electrical, hydraulic, or mechanical engineering, or aero engineering for that matter. One or all of the of those four. Uh, and uh, your son or daughter, if they want to become a an engineer, would uh, would specialize in that. But then over and above that, I think that they need to be involved in racing. If they're not driving a car, they need to be, if, if it's karting, if it's car racing, whatever it is, locally, wherever you are, there's racing. And get yourself involved in helping as early as you can somebody who's racing something. Uh, be part of that. Understand it because then you have, uh, then you've created the comprehension that you need uh, to not only drive the curriculum that you have, but see racing from the inside out, not from the textbook in. And, uh, and I think most of the engineers, young engineers that we have hired, both for our building in North Carolina and our building in Indianapolis, have, have racing in their background. Either they raced cars or they helped someone who did. Uh, and uh, uh, if you have to fix problems and understand the practicality of that, the educational process for that only fortifies uh, that aptitude. Um, and that's what we look for. And we have a lot of engineers. Well, we have a fair amount of young engineers that have come at us that have that background already. And we look for that, frankly. We think if we had to choose between two people, if it came down to that, that's how we would choose them. I love the fact that your team, Mike, along with a growing number of teams, have been very inclusive in your hiring on the engineering side, mechanical side, you know, on all sides, but in the engineering side as well, Kate Gundlach, of course, um, uh -huh. part of a, the championship winning team in 2018, I believe it was. Um, uh, she's now with the Air McLaren SP, but whether it's men, whether it's women, whether it's whatever, <laughs> if they have talent, you uh, and other teams are open to that and i just appreciate that because again we used to talk about diane hall for example as the great outlier hey there's a a woman who's a race engineer on the cart pit lane did you did you hear about that and you go how stupid i'm glad that we're getting we're getting closer to a day where whoever you are if you're good and you want to do it you're uh, you're gonna have a job so um Hopefully, uh, before too long, you'll be getting that resume from Emil's son. And uh, I guess you and I can kick back in our rocking chairs and, and watch him uh, do his job. You just have to not be afraid to uh, jump in with both hands and both feet early on. Mr. Hull, it's always a pleasure when we have you on. And we'll look forward to uh, keeping the party going here okay. in the uh, the weeks and months ahead thanks once again to all of you okay marshall for sending in great questions for us and to cooper tires and the justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com uh i know who next week's guest is going to be but i can't mention it because i'd be tipping off a little bit of news so uh <laughs> i think you're gonna enjoy it but nonetheless thank you all for listening we'll speak to you here soon